to the EXP Sherry. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. And we're here and with another week with uh, more video game discussion. So, Dave, how, how's your week going? Uh, it's going good. Um, have, have, you, have you squeezed in some time to play some games? Uh, not as much as I'd like, uh, per usual. I never. So get you don't have one going in each system right now. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, I'm I'm redoing my entire um, uh, gaming cave, as I think I mentioned before. So I've had oh, to yeah. kind of consolidate. I, I put all my systems away. They're all packed away in boxes, and I've retained my PlayStation Four and then my PlayStation Three. Um, so uh-huh. I'm still playing the Division when I can get on with some friends, but. Um, in my spare time, I've decided to break out one of my uh, garage sale finds, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, Tomba, which is an old PlayStation 1 game, which is actually a... It's like a... It's more of an RPG than anything, but the what's interesting about it and unique about it is uh, instead of your typical top-down, explore world map situation, uh, the actual, you know, in-between-the-story segments is actually a platformer. But was it actually advertised as an RPG? I feel like this would have come on my radar as a PlayStation 1 RPG player. You know, I I don't know if it was advertised as much at all, to be honest with you. I don't know if it was advertised widely. Um, from what I understand, the studio basically made Tomba and then Tomba 2 and then kind of went out of business. Um and since then, and because of that, in some ways, it's gotten a cult following. And so now the value of the game has shot up like crazy. Um, and so it's hard to get a physical copy of. And I don't think it's... I, I, it might be available on, on virtual console somewhere. It probably is. You mean PSN? Yeah, PSN. Um, yeah. Well, what's the value? Uh, well, Tomba 1, I think, goes for about 80 complete, and Tomba 2 goes for about 60 complete. I might have those reversed, but that's that's pretty expensive for retro games. Yeah. I mean, particularly PlayStation 1 games, there's very few PlayStation 1 games that get up that high. Um, it's not like the old NES games where, you know, there's a few dozen games over 100 bucks. It's, you know, PlayStation 1, it, it's hard to get rare games like that. In any event, so it's it's like a... It's R- it's RPG-esque in that you level up and you have missions and there's a story that you're progressing. Um, but, you know, the interim periods are platforming. I, I think it- it's a lot of fun. It took me a long time to get into, mostly because the platforming at first is really kind of wonky and difficult. And, but then you get items to kind of help your platforming abilities. It- it's actually pretty cool, and it's it's got a real campy feel to it. Um, it doesn't take itself too seriously. So I definitely recommend it to anybody out there who's, who's looking for something a little bit unique. Um, I'm, I'm kind of really, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, I'm, I'm pretty surprised that there haven't been any kind of copycat games out there because it's definitely unique. So that, that's what I've been yeah, pouring well, most of my time into. Hopefully it's on the PSN because dropping a 60 or 80 bones on that. Yeah, I mean, you could get lucky like me and get it at a garage sale for a buck a piece, but <laughs> that's... <laughs> that's uh, Praying to the RNG gods a little a little hard, but I, you know if it's on the if it's on the PSN, I would definitely recommend giving it a go. Um, I would think that modern gamers though might get a little frustrated with it because it is not easy. It's not easy. The platforming is pretty difficult, um, and unless you have the patience to get through some of the more difficult parts early, you're not going to hit the real rewarding parts later. Are there are there battles? Like I don't even understand what what this is. Um, well, th- there are boss battles, um, but the 
the battles kind of remind me a little bit more of they're like platforming boss battles, kind of similar to Donkey Kong oh. Country. Um, okay. The the RPG elements are kind of the quest system, the concept of you know going into different areas, different villages, different races. Um, you know, the quests and the leveling up is really what makes it an RPG style. From what I understand, Toma 2 is even more RPG-esque and a little bit less emphasis on the platform, but uh, I de- I'll definitely try that out once I'm done with Toma, which should take me just a few more hours. So, um, I've never played this, but it sounds like it's a little similar to uh, Legend of Zelda 2. It is similar to Legend of Zelda 2, now that you mention it. It is kind of like that. Um, okay. You know, this one's a little bit more... Well, it's just so much more advanced than Legend of Zelda 2, so I wouldn't even... It, it would, I would, it's hard to draw the comparison, but it is well, similar. Well, maybe Legend of Zelda 2 is the inspiration behind it. No, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. I think they are similar, because Legend of Zelda 2 is definitely, like, going from town to town, getting items to level up, um, and then obviously... And so the most platforming yeah. of all the Zeldas. No, that, so. that, that's right, yeah. I would say it's, it's similar to that. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Is that all, uh, all for you for this week? Uh, yeah, that's all I'm playing now. I'm trying to okay. I'm trying to keep it to to one or two at a time these days. That's, that's a good I, idea. I will say the Destiny. Um, there's going to be a, an April Destiny drop of DLC, so I'm going to have to dabble into that a little bit in order to keep up with my friends. Uh, so are you gonna? What's the priority, Division or Destiny? I don't know. I'm just going to be a step behind all my friends, both of them. But it's really Sophie's choice. Yeah, it is. I think <laughs> I, I would prefer to play Division, but I have a feeling that I'm going to be a force into the Destiny. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. All right. How about yourself? Uh, well, for me, I've been. Uh, well, first, let, let's continue with the fact that I have not put Mitomo down, <laughs> mm. mainly. Because, I mean, between my boyfriend and a bunch of friends who are not gamers, like, they've all been right. so sucked into it. So I'm getting Mitomo notifications all the time. Yeah. It's a um, lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I've been, I, mean, I've been, would, I haven't, I didn't play it yesterday, but other than okay. that's my first day. And I, well, that's crazy, because now you're, you're losing the daily bonus. I'm only realizing the na- that now. I've just had a busy yeah. uh, weekend with work, but... Yeah. Oh man, maybe I did check in yesterday. I'm checking right now to see if I got my bonus. <laughs> Before midnight strikes. Yeah, just That's for funny. everybody's benefit, if you don't go every single day, you miss out on the kind of daily bonus challenge, yeah, which but increases it's like, over time. It takes like a second, and it's not like you're firing up a, a console, so it's like such an easy proposition, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so okay, so Mitomo's still on the agenda, um, but besides that, you know, we have Uncharted 4 coming out soon. Right. And I figured now would be the time to crack open the Uncharted collection that came bundled with my PS4. So, uh, you know, I, I finished Fallout 4 the past few weeks, so it was time to, to, to throw something else into the PS4. And I thought, uh, you know, you've mentioned to me that, that Uncharted, the, the games individually don't take that long mm-hmm. to beat. Yeah. And then I went on howlongtobeat.com, and it looks like it was about, like, Somewhere between like or around nine hours each game, yeah. more or less, mm-hmm. which is like combined, not even as long as one of the games I normally play. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I'll preface this by saying Uncharted is probably not my typical genre. No, I was going to say though, I'm very proud of you for stepping outside um, yeah. your comfort zone. Now, I mean, it, Uncharted is a good series, but it's definitely way outside what you would normally do. Yeah. So just just to kind of set the scene a little bit, 
Uh, the game has let me know that I am at just over 50% complete through the campaign, mm-hmm. which I do say that is one of my favorite features. I love yeah. knowing how far along I am because, yeah. I mean, back over in the RPG world, it's like, oh, my God, like how much longer do I have? Right. You, you have to check a game fact or something like that to know where you stand in the progress. Yeah, so I guess down to the heart of the game itself. Um, I was expecting a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I realize everyone says like Uncharted 2 and 3 are the great games of the series, mm-hmm. and one is no one really talks much about. Right. And to me, it, sound, it feels a little like maybe how Assassin's Creed took off. Mm-hmm. Like, Assassin's Creed, the first game was very bare bones, and then Assassin's Creed 2 really built off of that. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that's the case because I mean Uncharted I'm just you just killing the same it. people over yeah. and over again and <laughs> well I will so it's funny that Uncharted actually was one of the games that got me back into kind of a more expansive gaming experience when I was yeah. in my Call of Duty and Battlefield stage and I had met a yeah. coworker who was like you got to try Uncharted Two. And I was like, well, do I have to start from the beginning? And he was like, no, jump right into Uncharted 2. So I didn't play really? Uncharted Drake's Fortune until after I'd played Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I got through it, but, you know, I did it to do it. You know, I wasn't really excited yeah. about it. I didn't think it was that good. I mean, the story is just so basic. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you're really... I, I don't know how it goes for future games, but you're really just in the same... I mean, for the first 50% of the game, you're on the same island. Like, I'm just in a jungle and a temple for everything. Yeah, and and, um, and and I'm not the best person to have this conversation with because I'm not a huge Uncharted fan, and I know there are yeah. tons of people out there who just love it, and they think yeah, it's people like the love best it. series I mean, ever. People have been talking about Uncharted 4 as if like this is the next big thing. Yeah. So It's I like figured, a system seller. For like the PlayStation, yeah. I don't get that. I think it's a worthwhile game, but yeah, you know, I never was in love with it, and and I certainly didn't love Uncharted Two, which is theoretically everybody's favorite. But my favorite was Uncharted Three, um, mm-hmm. and it well, certainly I mean, is waves upon waves of bad guys, and you're just doing the same shit over and over again. Yeah, and the story isn't so compelling to say, you know, like bring it on, bring on another game. Yeah. So, so far, like the way it's waves upon waves, and then they introduced a mechanic, and I was like so excited! It's oh my god, it's a different mechanic. <laughs> the jet skiing, I wanted to kill myself. Yeah. I mean, you like at first I went through the approach of like just yeah, let's like go speed through this, and I was just dying incessantly. Which is also so what to, you want to do on a jet ski, like yeah, you want to be able to run through it. So instead, I was like turtling along, like all yeah. right, let's like putter <laughs> through, and then oh, all right, all right, Elena, like. <laughs> Shoot a few guys. All right, keep going. Yeah. Which was funny because it just the, the jet ski segment comes just off the heels of of the like car chase segment, which was actually pretty fun. Probably the best part of that game. Yeah, the car chase segment was definitely like a highlight. Mm-hmm. But then you go turtle along on yeah. those jet skis. <laughs> well, um, it, you know, it was. I don't think it was a launch game, but it was a very early game on the PlayStation. Yeah, there. it's 2007. Okay, so that's I looked it up. That's super early, and I know that you. That's the HD remaster, right, that you're playing? Yeah, this is the remaster. But, like, even so, I mean, graphics don't change the gameplay. And the reality is, yeah. back then... Like, yeah, this is a nine-year-old game. Like, if you play the original Resistance game, which was another system seller, theoretically, like, it's very clunky. It's almost like playing Half-Life 2 today. 
it's like you can't go back and play Half-Life 2 and have the experience that everybody else is like raving about Um, because it's just a different time period so you know I think that those types of games in particular have evolved so much it's hard to go back almost 10 years now and kind of have the same love affair with it that a lot of people had but it's just funny because like some games age so well and other games don't and like I don't think this ages that well yeah well it's the whole thing where if that if it's the beginning part of that type of genre of game it's yeah. not going to age as well as something that's like like the last uh, 2D platformers that were made back for like the Sega Saturn and stuff like that are like some of the best platformers ever made because that was like the end of the platforming era in 2D um, yeah. whereas like those early 3D platformers for N64 are terrible today because yeah. they were the first of the genre um yeah, but in any event, at least they're they're only like eight or nine hours, so you can get yeah. you can get through them and you know just say that you've done it. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm gonna need a palate cleanser in between each one because yeah. I don't think I could steamroll through all three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, and and you know, after I started branching out into other things, like it was huge for me when a game was like. A, 10 hours or less because there's not a huge commitment there like you can get through a nine hour game in like a week and a half and it's not a problem all right well that's that's it for me really this week uh so we're gonna jump right into the news you wanted to talk about this dark souls 3 the is releasing tomorrow Mm -hmm. Uh, well i guess by the time you guys hear this it'll be out but uh april 12th releasing on uh xbox one ps4 and windows although it's been out in japan for uh, a few weeks now, so people already kind of had, already have an idea of what's going on between live streams and all kind of leaking information. So, right. Dave, you're probably a little bit more of an expert on this game than I am. So, what did you know about yeah, it? Yeah, and and I use the term expert extremely loosely in the Dark Souls world. I mean, there are people who are obsessed with these games, um, mm-hmm. and I guess I just wanted an excuse to talk about them because. They are very unique in today's gamer world. Um, And I don't think either... I mean, I've gotten into Dark Souls, the original, for probably about 30 hours at one point. Wow. Um, And it's a very beautiful game. Um, It's an in-depth... I would, you know, uh, Western action RPG style. So just to start from the beginning... There's now three games in the Dark Souls series, but it actually started with a game called Demon Souls on the PS3. And so there were three games for the PS3, Demon Souls, Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, which also came next yeah. gen, and now there's Dark Souls 3. Um, but also, isn't Bloodborne of the same vein? It is. It's by the same developers, and it has the same concept, which is, you know... Um, and, and actually, huge fans of the game hate this aspect that everybody just talks about how difficult it is because that's all I know right and that's what most people think and and let me tell you it's so hard like and I've played a lot of hard games like I've beaten Ninja Gaiden on NES and I've beaten Castlevania on NES I mean I can withstand some punishment but these games are just brutal like you, you log on for like maybe three hours in a night and you make it through one little segment of the storyline and to show how hard it is like I got about 30 hours into Dark Souls I got to this part that was just so hard I got myself into a mess that was so hard to get out of I gave up I put it away for good I've never put (laughs) it back in but it is a gorgeous game with an extremely deep backstory and universe to the point there are some people who only play those games 
Um, yeah. And in fact, our mutual friend Justin, he he plays almost exclusively games like that. Uh, it's mm-hmm. really fascinating, and I would love to get back into the series at some point and give it another go. Um, is it well, any? I, have you ever thought about trying it? No, but I did hear that uh, the good entry point was Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. It's like a little bit more tame than right. the uh, the Dark Souls games, and since it is a PS4 exclusive, you know, and I, I'm the, I'm halfway there pretty much. Right. <laughs> uh, I guess I would consider it, but I, there's just, it's just it seems so out of my genre. Yeah. And the difficulty doesn't sound like I'm playing Uncharted on easy. Right. And right. You know. Yeah. If you pu- if you could pull the difficulty back, it's not that different from say a Skyrim. You know, mm-hmm. but the it, it is truly like they plop you down in the middle of this scenario, and there's absolutely no instruction. And oh man, you would just be paralyzed at the character creation screen because oh. every single decision matters tremendously. Wow! But there's no guidance whatsoever on which decision to make on the screen. It's yeah. insane. But I'm sure people like have suggestions online as to how they are. set yourself so, up. It, when I was doing Dark Souls, I actually followed a lot of advice that was online, and it was still so hard. You know, like I did all the like cheap little level up moves, and like I got all the good items that I could get early. It's just so yeah. hard. Um, but in any event, uh, it, it's an interesting thing. Like I, I've tried so many aspects of gaming, but that's one that I just unfortunately like. I wish I could get into it, but it's just. You know, it's such a brutal, it's like such a punishing experience, despite the fact that it might be extremely rewarding if you could do it. Yeah. Well, I guess any of our fans out there, tweet at us or leave us a little Facebook comment about your Dark Souls experience, because we are clearly not the experts here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for the, for the fans of the series out there, let us know what you think of it. Uh, so... Back, uh, I guess somewhat related to Dark Souls, you know, uh, this Punch-Out! Secrets Revealed uh, story is a little interesting in terms of, you know, uh, precision and difficult games and, uh, like, learning how to overcome some of these weird game mechanics. Um, So over in IGN, they reported a retro gamer has discovered a new uh, visual cue in the NES classic Punch-Out!, making Piston Mm -hmm. Honda and Ball Bull easier to topple. The original game, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! came out in the U.S. in October 1987, meaning the trick has been hiding in plain sight for almost 29 years. Uh, a Reddit user, Midwestern Housewives, I wonder if he watches like The Real Housewives or something. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he discovered it and posted a video of the queue. If you haven't watched the video, in the second fight against Piston Honda and in the second fight uh, of Bald Bull, a normally static face in the crowd will duck to signify exactly when to throw a punch. If timed correctly, a little Mac punch will instantly knock out either fighter. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, in this day and age, that would be like on on games fa- game facts yeah. right away, I would imagine. I love this story. It I mean, obviously as a retro gamer, a guy who loves NES, I think it's amazing that people just are uncovering certain things like this today. And and every once in a while you see uh, stories like this pop up, you know. There's hidden screens and there's hidden stories, but uh, this is the this is the like most famous game and the most famous new glitch, I guess I would say that I've ever heard. Like everybody who ever plays Mike Tyson's Punch Out from here on out will use this. I don't know. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I had my NES plugged in, I definitely would have popped in Mike Tyson's Punch Out today just to check it out myself. 
And, like, yeah. everybody knows that you can knock those guys out with one punch if you time it correctly, but it's a very difficult thing to time. But can you time it correctly without knowing this, or does this give you a good, like, a, a longer heads up? You can. You, you can. So people who are very good at Mike Tyson's punch out can time in their head without the visual cue when to do it. Okay. They basically time it off when they jump back. Um, and I can do it very often as well. But the visual cue, I'm not that good at Mike Tyson's punch out, so the visual, yeah. uh, the visual cue would be very helpful to me. Um, now, yeah. these guys aren't the toughest guys. I mean, this isn't like finding a glitch to Mike Tyson himself, but um, yeah, yeah. certainly w- w- would alleviate some frustration in me getting to Mike Tyson. Yeah, it's so pretty cool. Although I've never beaten uh, Mike Tyson's punch out. And I, I would imagine you <laughs> Another one you just let go. Well, I, I mean, that's, that's like such a difficult game to this day. And like it, it's, it requires a very specific skill set of being able to time and react to cues um, that I guess I just don't have because I couldn't Did, even get close. Didn't you uh, attempt it during the, the NES challenge, or am I mistaken? No, I did. I actually couldn't get past Soda Popinski, which is the second okay. to last guy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you were almost there. I, I mean, I was almost to Mike Tyson, but supposedly Mike Tyson is like 10 times harder than Soda Pop. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so then on to our last story of the week, uh, which out of the three really interests me. Um, so the largest World of Warcraft uh, private server was shut down. So Polygon was reporting that this is the biggest private server. Uh, the name of it is Nostalrius. Uh, was closed down on... Sunday night, after being slapped with a cease and desist order from Blizzard Entertainment, uh, which private servers, according to Blizzard, violate the company's terms of use, the team of volunteers that kept the server afloat announced it was forced to close down. Uh, so it, I guess this server has a close to around 150,000 active accounts, uh, and this server allows fans to experience older vanilla version of World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. meaning like that's the version that how it was released when the game first came out however many years ago. Mm -hmm. And right before the closure, the developers uh, behind that private server did an AMA on Reddit, uh, and they said that the heart uh, behind all the private servers, including Nostalrius, is to recreate a version of the game that many enjoyed and that Blizzard no longer provides. Our hope is that Blizzard someday embraces the idea of legacy servers, uh, and that's the reason for our our petition uh, addressed to the Blizzard president. So, yeah. what are your thoughts on this one? It's a very sweet story if you read it, and like all the folks who came out for the closing of the server and, you know, had essentially a giant send-off party on, in yeah. the digital well, world. Well, I mean, that's that's very common whenever like these MMO right. games shut down and stuff, but it's unique in this situation since it's not the official game closing. Right. I mean, they could go and play World of Warcraft right now. Well, World of Warcraft is such a is such a unique beast in that it's been around for so long and you've had through different eras so many different people who are addicted to the game um and i have a a good friend from college who was a huge into world of warcraft but as he got older you know and his life changed and he obviously had a real job and now has kids he can't spend time playing world of warcraft like that anymore and he would be the type of guy who would love to have that private server of just like to go back for the nostalgia purposes of playing it um yeah and well i think part of the problem with these mmos is if you take a break and then jump back in it almost feels like a different game yeah that's true even when when we took a break from final fantasy 14 and we there was like a free weekend or something i went back in and i like i was overwhelmed i didn't really even know Mm -hmm. 
what to look at or what to do at that point. Yeah, exactly. And and another thing about MMOs is that, you know, almost any game, even digital ones today, you can always go back and relive the memories to some extent. And obviously, I'm a yeah. huge fan of doing that. An MMO, it's very difficult, um, obviously, because it's ever-evolving. And these private servers that are put together by private individuals just to host, you know, that nostalgia factor uh, is such a great thing. Um, It is too bad that um, Blizzard doesn't support it. It doesn't seem like any skin off their teeth. Well, no, I mean, I think they are losing losing potential paying customers. Um, I mean, my, my take on this is, you know... Let's say World of Warcraft was uh, at, was not really existing in, anymore. Let's say like the sequel came out, which I mean I'm sure they Blizzard's been working on for some time mm-hmm. now. I could I could just I could justify the private servers a bit more. You know, maybe a private server that caters to how the game last was before it shut down, and a private server that caters to how it was when the game first mm-hmm. opened. But I do see their point of like. This is 150,000 right. people who could be paying right. uh, That's true. Blizzard, and they're and they're essentially playing the game for free. I wonder if they could figure out like a pay share system where they do pay Blizzard f- for the yeah. right to use this private server, um, and it could even be like a a shared fee that actually goes to the private guys as well, and so that they can relive these experiences, but Blizzard still gets paid yeah. because Blizzard's Blizzard's not offering the experience themselves. Yeah, I mean, while I sound a little harsh in that in my take on it, at the same time, like I really do appreciate like that people do this sort mm-hmm. of thing because there's so many games that you can't play anymore because of like discontinued support. Right. I mean, even like there's a whole library of games on the DS and the Wii that, due to the fact that Nintendo was outsourcing its online support those games can't be played online anymore. Hmm. And, and these aren't even games that necessarily have like significant online features, but for, take, for instance, um, Dragon Quest IX on the hmm. DS had, like, uh, I don't know if it was a weekly or monthly uh, download, downloadable items and quests and right. stuff that it was just rotating automatically. Hmm. And those online servers just shut down, and you can't really have a hundred percent experience of that game anymore because right. of the fact that the online uh, server is no longer up. So, I mean, I do, I do appreciate people like making the efforts to preserve this sort mm. of stuff because these companies aren't really taking the interest of doing that. And it's kind of like, it's like if a book was just no longer in existence anymore or like a movie, right. like could not be and watched. Then it, and, and then it's like an independent publisher picking it up and publishing it and bringing it to the people who want to read it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, which, a, a complete so, aside, I'm going to butcher the story because I don't remember anything about it. Did you see that story? They had it on Kotaku about the guy who decided to go visit a dead MMO. Oh, the creepy pasta. Yeah, the creepy pasta. And he uh, goes in thing. and he's like yeah. touring this like abandoned MMO because he just wanted to see what it looked like. And he like runs into a guy. Now, who knows if this whole thing was staged? But like, I like to think yeah. that like maybe there was somebody who became so obsessed with the world he was living in in this MMO that he like psychologically couldn't let it go. And he literally is just yeah. still playing the MMO by himself day <laughs> in and day out. <laughs> That virtual reality is his reality. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are people like that, uh, obviously, but, you know, obviously <laughs> mostly just in uh, in active games. But I like to think about this yeah, one person yeah. who's, just, like, thinking they're, like, the sole remaining survivor and their identity is so wrapped up in it. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it was a cool story. Oh, but man. it was really creepy. Um, so I, that's pretty much it for the, for the news this week. Uh, we're going to just dive into our, our major topic of the week, which we've touched on a few times already. Uh, I mean, Dave even brought it up, the fact that he managed to snag Tomba or Tomba, how, mm-hmm. you know, potato, potato, uh, for a buck. Uh, when it's really worth 60 or $80. Um, and it's the topic of game collecting, which both of us kind of uh, partake in in varying degrees. Mm-hmm. So, Dave, what, when did you start really taking up this hobby? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I'm a game collector. I wouldn't say to the extreme, but, you know, I have aspirations. <laughs> and I started, uh, yeah. when we started doing that NES challenge that we've mentioned, when we decided we were going to see how many classic NES games we could beat, um, I bought an old Nintendo and I started kind of collecting the games I wanted to beat for this challenge. Uh, and I got really into the concept of having the physical cartridges on my shelf. Um, and from there, I just... Uh, I decided to start trying different systems that I never had. Like, I bought a, a, a Sega Saturn, which I never had when I was a kid, um, and bought a few games for that. And then when I moved into a house, I got out of the apartment, I had more room, um, I decided to create my gaming room and fill up shelves with games. Um, and from there, I, you know, I, I have bought a lot of games retail from eBay or from GameStop or whatever. But uh, I've expanded my collection exponentially through garage sales. Um, but uh, I- I'm the type of collector that it, I'm interested in everything. Um, I-, yeah. I do need to target a little bit because otherwise I'll just get off the rails versus you. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much out right. there. Whereas you're, you're a collector as well, but of a different sort. Yeah, I, I would say to a lesser degree than you <laughs> are. I mean, I'm not going out and and really purchasing systems that I didn't own originally at, at their release. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really have much of an interest in doing that. Uh, and I've always pretty much, you know, stuck to my genre for the most part. But I would say during the last generation, I've been a little bit more interested. I guess the, the signature games of, like, certain genres, right. mm-hmm. you know, like I have, like, Mass Effect, which is, I guess, considered, like, the pinnacle of, like, Western RPGs. Right. Um and uh, a bunch of the Assassin's Creed games, mm-hmm. which, you know, are notorious in their own right. Um, so I'm kind of interested in, like, collecting, like, the big name games, mm-hmm. which isn't really much... Like, a lot of collectors are more interested in collecting niche stuff, but I just want to have in my library, like, the stuff that that is very well-regarded. Well-regarded. I guess. Mostly that you like. Like, I'm not going to go collecting, like, the Gears of War right. games or Call Even of Duty. Even though those, like, those are just, signature games, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm willing to step out of my genre to some degree, mm-hmm. but like, I know what I'm gonna like or not right. like, even outside of the genre. But I guess you know, I've all I've always been collecting RPGs, which is pretty much my main genre. And I would say uh, the whole collecting thing has has made me. I, I, I stuck to it a bit more once I I started to get some regrets, and one of my big regrets was. Back in the day, I don't even know why I did it. I think I only did it because like GameStop was offering some sort of program. I traded in um, a bunch of games, oh, and a lot of them I don't really care about. Like it was, I think I traded in Twisted Metal, which right. I could care yeah. less about. But I, I, I traded in uh, Persona 2 and Grandia, uh-huh. and I like really yeah, regret yeah. that. I think those games are worth like a decent amount at this what, point. So you, uh, Dan has a pretty. Uh, it's not a massive collection. It's not like 
hundreds and hundreds of games, but you have a very nice curated collection. Like I've been over your apartment and I've looked at the games that you have, and I've been very impressed and and jealous because I actually don't have a lot of those games. Um, what do you yeah. think possessed you to trade in those particular games and and hold on to so much of the rest? Like you still have all your Super Nintendo games. Yeah, I have most of the Super Nintendo games. Um, I, I I don't know. Maybe I thought I could like trade those in and like buy them back cheaper at mm-hmm. some point. But like I, that was still in the earlier stages of the collecting. And I've and I've I think I have a better sense of like games that are going to be rare. Right. Uh, and I'll hold on to them. I mean, I hold on to everything at this point. But even in my purchases, like I if I see a game that's on sale. And I could I I feel like I have a good idea that this is probably the lowest this game is ever right. going to get, and will probably increase in value down mm-hmm. the line. I mean, I would say I, I have a lot of stuff that's worth a decent amount in like my GameCube collection. Oh yeah, my like PlayStation collection. Yeah. You, you've got some really um, great stuff. Yeah. Um, you have so Earth, you have I guess that's you have kind of bound, which is huge. Yeah. You've got some really heavy hitters. I don't really remember what they are. Do, do you have any off the top of your head you can think of? Um, I th- I think that the the two Lunar oh, games yeah. for PlayStation yeah. are pretty expensive, and I have both of those. Um, I've never played those, but I heard they're fantastic. Uh, yeah, they're pretty good. Um, I have, I mean, I've talked about this game almost every podcast so far, but Stoikiden Two is worth yeah. a decent amount. Yeah. Um, so I have that. Uh, I I've been diving deeper into the Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. Uh, World, oh, yeah, you mentioned I, that I you might go back and collect, start collecting the whole series there if you can find some decent yeah, deals. Which is, uh, yeah, and it's a pretty expensive prospect, right. but I did uh, manage to get um, the uh, Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn through a oh, recent right. yep. uh, GameStop buy two, get one mm-hmm. free. Uh, but before we get to like strategies like that of like how, to, how you hunt for deals, have you had any regrets in in games that you remember trading back or selling yeah, somehow? Um, so I, just to give a brief summary of, of my collection, I've got, uh, like I said, I'm a little bit crazier, and I've just hit, I think, 1,400 games. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> in my biggest collections, uh, I haven't been entirely focused, but that's because when I go to garage sales, whatever's there, I pick up, and then, you know, if I don't have it, I keep it. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um yeah. And but I've been really trying to focus on the original Nintendo, um, of which I've got about three, a little over 350 games, and I think there's a little over 700 total in the set. So I'm trying to get. Wow. I'll I'll never have a complete set, right? Because I'll never have, like, yeah, you know, stadium events that goes for almost ten thousand dollars. But um, the goal is to get pretty close. I, I do have some regrets. Um, I did trade in my original Nintendo games back in the day. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. regret that. Although I didn't have any big heavy hitters or anything like that, so I, I can't. You know, it, maybe all those games would have been worth a hundred dollars today. Probably not even. So, and, and I have them yeah. all back, so I'm not too upset about that. Um, my bigger regrets probably are missing opportunities to get games for my collection that I, you know, mm-hmm. saw but said, you know, maybe. Uh, it'll be cheaper in the future or I'll find them later and then I end up paying like full value for them later on um, <laughs> like it, 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 some and collecting is getting crazy so you know, I let's say I started collecting seriously two years ago um, 
prices have skyrocketed in just the last two years. It's nuts, particularly in the wow. retro sector, like NES games, Super Nintendo. I mean, there was a game last summer, Bucky O'Hare, which is a pretty rare game that I could have gotten for 75 mm-hmm. bucks. That was the fire market value back then. And I was like, oh, I don't like yeah. playing, paying fair market value for games. I'm not going to pay this much. It goes for 125 regularly on eBay now. And that's in one wow. year. It's nuts. Yeah. But... Well, I think that probably has to do with the fact that, like, the people interested in doing this are aging up and can now afford this. So stuff gets rarer and people are willing to that's pay exactly more. That's right. And, I mean, that's what happened to me is I can now afford to do this. So w- why not, you know? Um, but yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think um, a- as people get who played original Nintendo get later into their 20s, 30s, you know, they want to taste that nostalgia and they get into it. Um, but it's interesting. And... and you know, I do think sometimes about scaling back on the volume and trying to get a little bit more of a curated collection. And I might, I think I yeah. mentioned doing that on stuff like PlayStation 2, which I don't really have a huge nostalgia factor for, and taking more yeah. of the approach that you take, which is, you know, only the heaviest hitters for the system and like the most kind of well known and established games. Yeah. So we, we have pretty much pretty uh, different strategies when it comes to actually doing this mm-hmm. so what's your what's your strategy well i mean when i came to my house as i mentioned i started doing the garage sales to get most of my collecting um but that only works for about what a third of the season a third of the year and so yeah. then i i do hunt ebay and local stores to try and pick up uh cheap finds um and then i've also kind of harassed my friends who don't care about gaming yeah. at all anymore to just fork over whatever they had when they were a kid to varying degrees of success um, if all goes according to plan my friend Keith who who might join us next week uh, he's been instrumental in expanding my collection I mean, he's given me tons of stuff because he's, he's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum he loves gaming, he games every single day, he put logs in hours but he has no yeah. interest in the physical media anymore. He's one of those guys who wants to completely yeah. streamline. And so he, to him, it's like, well, I don't need these. They're sitting in my basement. If you derive some sort of pleasure from owning this piece of plastic, you know, here you go. Yeah. Well, I think what's, what's, what's it goes back to the whole World of Warcraft like story, you know. It, it would be great to sign on to this whole digital uh method of collecting yeah. everything but you don't know how long it'll be supported for your system could right. die uh you know and if everything's just tied to your system everything's tied to an online account you don't really have a lot of security in any of these purchases that yeah. you've made i also i i do think about my motivation sometimes and one of the things i think about is people tend to collect later on something that they always wanted when they were a kid but felt like restricted in their ability to have and because back yeah. in the day, you know, games were really expensive, and you might get one or two video games a year. But I remember thinking, yeah. like, oh, man, if I could just have a room full of video games, I'd be so happy. <laughs> um, and now that I can afford to do it, like, it's that's what is really inspiring to me. And so, I don't know, it's exciting for me just to even look at the shelf. And sometimes I don't even have time to play a game, but I'll just go down there and just, like, thumb through them all and be like, oh, yeah, you uh-huh. know, I'll play this someday or I'll try that or this game was terrible. Or So my strategy is pretty much, I mean, I don't really have much of an option of, of doing garage sales because mm-hmm. there's not a ton of garage sales in, like, metropolitan New York City. Um, you'll have the occasional, like, sidewalk sale, but I, 
I very rarely see video games out at them. I mean, what percentage would you say when you go to a garage sale you even see video games? Or do you check ahead of time that they're going to have um, I do not check. So there are definitely varying levels of obsessiveness and creepiness when it comes to the garage selling scene. Um, I usually uh-huh. just try and track down who's having garage sales, and I try and show up early, and I'll just yeah. ask if they have games. Um, I, I will say, let's say... Uh, on a good day, I'd say one out of ten has games, and then you have to hope oh, yeah. that they have anything that you want, and then are willing yeah. to sell it for a decent price. Um, it, it's not infrequent that you show up and somebody will be like, "Oh yeah, you emailed me, didn't you?" I'm like, "No, I didn't email you," because there's other people who are <laughs> emailing every single garage sale and asking if they have games, um, because yeah. the scene is just so competitive. From what I understand, though, like Northern Jersey is one of the most competitive places in the entire country for this. Um, because there's yeah, just a yeah. lot of people with expendable income who have nothing better to do yeah. um, and do it. Um, <laughs> other creeps like, like me, but like some people are are, yeah. are are nuts and like will go. Honestly, if the sale opens at nine o'clock, they'll show up at like seven in the morning and just wait outside the door for them to like open their door to start setting up. It's nuts, but that's what yeah. I mean. Look, I can't fault them for it if they're that motivated and more motivated than me. Then they can do it. And and ultimately, yeah. it's the like when you're collecting for volume, like I am. It, the like even if games are only go for like five dollars a piece, like when you start looking at like a thousand games for five dollars a piece, that's five thousand dollars. So like, you yeah, know, going to a garage sale or going to a flea market and getting them for two dollars a piece instead of five dollars a piece is a huge difference. Um, and I'm not yeah, doing yeah. it for the value. I'm doing it for the enjoyment. I'm not trying to sell them. Um, but mm-hmm. for the for the more recent gen games, I definitely just. And mostly just going to GameStop. There's so many promotions yeah. and there's so many deals. Well, that that's been my strategy. I mean, I, I'm a member of Best uh, Best Buy Gamers Club Unlocked, which uh, they were the first ones to have that twenty per, that flat twenty percent off games. I paid, I think it was thirty dollars. I might have even gotten it on sale lower than that, thirty dollars for a two year mm-hmm. membership. And I've definitely, you know. <laughs> Uh, right. Like gotten more than my thirty dollars value, mm-hmm. value off of that. Um, so the great thing about the Best Buy Gamers Unlocked is that promotion uh, combines with their other sales. Right. So I pretty much like keep an eye on like like a deal of the day from Best Buy or uh, like buy two get one free that they occasionally mm-hmm. do. Um, and I'll especially take advantage of that for games that I know like. Are not going to dip down to like ten or under when the when the system's right. dying. Uh, for instance, uh, I picked up uh, Triforce Heroes and A Link Between Worlds during like some Zelda buy two get one right. free sale because those Zelda games are are never going to be yeah. like under there's in not the dollar a single bin. Zelda game you can find on eBay for less than ten dollars. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I mean, I got those games for like close to around. 20 from right. the sale, which it's not going to go lower than right. $20, really. Yeah. Uh, so that's like my strategy with, with Best Buy. Uh, you know, Amazon now also has the, the 20% right. off, but it's only during the first right. two weeks of the game's yeah. release. Uh, so I don't find that to be nearly mm-hmm. as useful unless I, I, it's like a day one mm-hmm. purchase and I just want it delivered right. to me and I trust Amazon a little bit more than Best Buy and actually getting mm-hmm. it to me. Um, 
But on the other hand, I do find Best Buy useful in terms of uh, somewhat older games. What I've done is I like I've created a wish list on mm-hmm. Amazon. Uh, you, just, you just like click on the games, add to wish list, add to wish list, and it actually records the price at which it was when you added it to the wish list. So I keep my eye on the wish list every now and then because it'll tell you like, oh, the game is. 20% off since when you added it to the wish list or 50% off since you added it to the wish list. So occasionally a game will like dip down pretty yeah. low uh, when I just happen to be checking it out and it's it's at a point where I'm like, oh, this is a, this is definitely oh, that's a, a good price tip. that's I'm going to use that. Yeah, yeah, because I, I sometimes yeah, I do I, stumble I, across a really good deal on Amazon and I'll pull the trigger. Mo- mostly yeah. on, on these like are, last gen games, I would say. Yeah, exactly. It's la- it's it's all I do this more with like DS and mm-hmm. Wii and PlayStation 3 because um, those sales aren't going to be as widely uh, talked about on like Cheap Ass Gamer right. and the other websites that sometimes I find out about it before there's even mm-hmm. a post about it just because I just like will like once a day look at that yeah. wish list so that's a little fun tip for, for yeah, you listeners I, I, I also I like the Amazon 20% off the pre-orders in the first two weeks for like those new $30 games that have been coming out that are kind of like the indies and and, and yeah. if it's a game I know I'm going to like like I, I think I um, Mighty Number no. 9 I pre-ordered and it's like I got I'm getting it for 22 bucks instead of 30 because oh, wow. you know yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, I think GameStop is good. Uh, you get the flat, I yeah. think, 10% off. Um, but really, it, it, GameStop is best for their buy-to-get-ones, you know, when they come around. Yeah, it's, they're, they're ideal for what I usually use them, use them for, are buy-to-get-ones for last-gen, mm-hmm. because I've definitely gotten some great uh, stuff off of that. That I, I like knew to hold right. off on. And plus, you can search. Uh, the searching the website is key. A lot of people don't realize this. So you can like search the website to see if they have the game that you want anywhere in your area. Mm. I know that it's it's hit or miss. Yeah, I know I, it's not one hundred percent, but it's helpful. But like, I, I I'm sure you agree on this in terms of you know if I'm gonna buy the buy the game and I, I care so much about it being a physical copy, no, I want yeah. the, the, mm-hmm. the case, I want right. the manual, and I don't want it to look like someone chewed yeah. it and like took a crap on it and yeah. like let their dog yeah. <laughs> play with it, you know? Which, it's so wild, like so many of those cases are beat to hell and back. Who like, does that to their system? It's truly... Oh, you know what I saw recently? I it's funny, I, I saw uh, a post on Reddit about a guy, it's so obnoxious, but you know, can you blame him? He brought his entire collection from last gen into GameStop, traded in all of the discs, and kept all of the cases, and then was selling the cases on Craigslist. Wow, I mean, good for him. It sucks for the rest. <laughs> it's obnoxious. So obnoxious. But, like, at the same time, it's like, GameStop, like, get with it. Like, you know, just pay, yeah. like, an extra dollar if it comes with the case. Or, you know, distinguish on the pricing when you sell it. Like, it's so crazy to me that, like, they'll sell, you know, Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn for $75 whether yeah. or not it has the case. That's absurd. Yeah. Like, they have to understand that people yeah. who are buying that game today aren't buying it just because they want the disc. Yeah, for that yeah, amount for that of money. Amount of money. I mean, come on. Exactly. Well, the uh, the other annoying thing that that GameStop does in terms of this whole collecting thing is for the DS mm-hmm. games, uh, they're definitely just when people are trading it in yeah, case uh, or not, they're taking the case and throwing it out. Or I don't even. And, and or, so many people have complained about this and like said like, "Why are you doing this?" And yet they continue to do so. 
Yeah. I mean, sure, it's going to take up shelf space, but, you know, I'd be a hundred times more likely to buy a game. Oh. Uh, a I'll never DS flip through or even that. look at those DS games. I have no interest. Well, you know, I, I only do, like, it's, it's so obnoxious, but I'll do it for the higher priced ones and check to see if buying it during a buy, buy two, get one free, plus completing the case and the, and the manual right. online will, like, beat out buying yeah. it used online yes. complete, which requires, like, <laughs> an obnoxious right. amount of effort for not that I, much game. I, I mentioned before, I don't collect for value, um, but we're also adults, like, and we don't need the money that might get from, like, using games as some sort of investment. I mean, that's that's crazy. Um, and yeah. I also feel like we grew up in a generation where we, like, learned our freaking lesson about, like, trying to collect shit for value. Like, when we were kids, people were trying to collect everything for money. You know, none of our comic book collections are worth anything, and none of our baseball card collections are worth anything. And um, I was just wondering what you think about the concept of, like, collecting Wii games, for example, for money. Or for value, or why do you well, think those games are ever going to be worth anything? Similar to the way Nintendo games. Well, are. I, th- I think it, in terms of the fact that this will all be going digital mm-hmm. eventually, you know, unless you're fine with having the digital version, which that's fine. But these games are, I think, a lot of them are only going to really go up in mm-hmm. value. So if you're buying, if you find a good deal on a high value game, I think it's worth picking it up if it's a game see I, I'm, I'm of the school thought that if it's a game right. you're interested in like I'm not trying to spend 80 bucks on a game that I'm, I have no intention right, of ever right. playing which is a little bit different than me so, cause, but, but depending on what yeah. I'm doing you know like I, I'm not going to buy yeah. like a, a a Wii game that like I'm probably not going to buy Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn unless I can find it for cheap because like I'm not that interested yeah. in it uh, I do want it for the collection yeah, yeah. but uh, I think I think it's yeah. funny because a lot of people are looking at what's happening to the NES games and the Super Nintendo games right now and seeing that there are some games, particularly at the NES level, maybe at the Saturn level, certain other like obscure systems, where some of the games are going up to like, you know, not too many, but some are getting up to like five hundred, six hundred dollars. And like some some people are yeah. trying to like speculate. Like when Devil's Third came out for Wii U and it was a relatively limited release, yeah. everybody was like, Well, oh, this is gonna be a collector's item someday. To me, as soon as people start yeah. realizing that it could be a collector's item, the jig is up, right? Because 20 mm-hmm. years from now, there's going to be thousands of people like me who have said to themselves, this is going to be a collector's item, quote-unquote. And there's going to be plenty of them yeah. kept in great shape in people's basements. The thing with Nintendo and Super Nintendo yeah. is that like nobody thought that about them. Nobody thought that these things were going to be collector's items, so they ditched them or they sold them back to GameStop, etc., so, yeah. I, you know, I just don't see that kind of value acceleration happening to the current gens. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like I said, I, I wouldn't be shopping them for value in order to resell. I would be shopping them for value just to hedge against my right. interest in potentially playing it down the road and wanting to pick it up That's now. what I, That's kind of what I'm doing um, with the Wii. Um, I don't think they're going to skyrocket in value, but it's not just about that. It's also about, like, even being able to find them, you know? There yeah. are a lot of like obscure yeah. Wii titles, for example, that were hidden gems. And, and for example, A Boy in His Blob, which was such a great experience for me. I'm so glad I own that game. Um, who knows who, how you're going to be able to find that later on? <laughs> I mean, it'll always be on yeah. eBay, but who, that, the price might go up on that. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think that's that's a great coverage of uh, this topic mm-hmm. for this week. I think, you know, some of our listeners may have some ideas that we haven't come up with. For instance, you didn't really know about my Amazon wish list uh, yeah, strategy. True. So if one of you guys have something, you know, tweet at us or write on our Facebook wall or... Um, we haven't really talked about this before, but we have an email address, too. It's uh, contactthexpshare at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on our website, thexpshare.com. Uh, we're up on iTunes, so you could subscribe, rate, comment. Dave, where are, do we find you online? Uh, I still don't remember. It's at O-Trains, or is it just O-Trains? <laughs> no, you're close. It's at O trains. Um, you can find me online at, at IDK IDK. Um, and we have our Twitter uh, tag at, at the EXP share. Additionally, for those of you who just can't get enough of listening to me each week, um, last week I did introduce a new podcast for those of you interested in you know pop culture and TV, reality television. I'm hosting a podcast with my friend Brendan called Come Through Queen, <laughs> uh, available on iTunes as well. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of cross-interest between our two audiences. <laughs> um, at least at first. So, of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, uh, we're both on P- uh, PSN Network. Dave's at O-Trains. I'm at Bezos. All right, everyone. See you next week. Bye.